The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mark's Gospel says this, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. The following is a, is a conversation I've had many, in many different ways, dealing with many different sinful struggles. Uh, maybe you can relate to this story. Uh, but how does the old uh, disclosure go when you're telling the truth, right? The names and details have been changed to protect those involved, okay? So this isn't aimed at anybody in particular in this room, just conversations, kind of a summary of conversations that I've had uh, throughout my ministry. I recall a conversation with a person who is a follower of Christ, but struggles with substance abuse. This person will withdraw from attending church if the abuse returns, work to get, get it back to a manageable level, and then return to faithful service and attendance to the church. It was again one of those times that they had fallen away, and I saw this person out in the shopping mall. I asked them, how's life? Told that person, we miss seeing them at church, and what is the response? I just need to get things figured out. I just need to clean myself up, and then I'll be back. How many of us have been involved in this conversation in some way, shape, or form? Uh, Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that conversation. I just need to clean myself up a little bit. I'll I'll be back. I'll be back. Or maybe you've been the concerned friend looking out for the spiritual welfare of another. This morning we're talking to broken people. I'm a broken person. I'm a sinful person. I fall fall, fall far short of the glory of God, just as I messed up those words, right? Fourth century theologian Augustine says it this way. He says, the church is not a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. Abigail Van Buren, the famous writer of the Dear Abby column, 
quoted it this way. She said that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Today we dig into one of the most famous stories of miraculous healing told from the ministry of Jesus. Almost everybody knows the healing of the paralyzed man and his friend's faithful service to dig through the roof and drop him down right at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is back home in Capernaum. Uh, Historians believe this might have been his own personal residence where he lived, this house that he's teaching in. And so he's back home. Might be his own house, might be the house of Peter, we don't know. Uh, to set this, to get the setting here, uh, the houses in this area were built from the rock uh, surrounding the lake there. Basalt rock is usually kind of a grayish black color, and they would hold it together with this mortar, and then sometimes they'd plaster the outside of it. Uh, the houses were built closely together. They had a nice climate out there, and so usually the houses on the outside would have a staircase that would go up uh, to the roof. The roof generally had some lumber going across, probably a flat roof, and they would lay reeds across it, and then they would hold the reeds together with mud, kind of making another mortar to go across the top. Sometimes I think they would sit up there, enjoy the sunset, enjoy the nice climate, and so the roof of this house was accessible. We can understand that, that these men walked up and were on top of this mud-mortared roof of this home. Kind of gives us a setting. I ask you this question now. As broken people, we all can acknowledge we're broken, right? Will you bring the broken to Jesus? Maybe your friend, your family, yourself? Am I going to bring my broken self to Jesus? Will you bring the broken? That's going to be our focus this morning. These friends do everything they can to bring their broken friend. They didn't clean him up. They didn't give him a script. Hey, you're going to see this guy, Jesus. Make sure you act this way. I know I've been in that conversation. Hey, bro, I'm bringing you to church with me. Just make, don't say those kind of words in there. We're going to be around some church folk. Be careful. Clean up your language a little bit. Make sure you wear a tie. Clean yourself up. No, these men bring their friend just as he is, paralyzed, on his mat. His clothes probably aren't very clean. He can't bathe himself, can't go to the bathroom on his own. Bring him just as he is to Jesus. They didn't give him a script on how to act. Rather, they wrecked the roof. They wrecked the roof just to get their broken friend to the healer in their midst. They had heard about Jesus and they had faith to say, we got to get our buddy over to this guy. I want my friend to meet Jesus There are few things that bring me more joy than to meet a person in church who doesn't act like church folk are supposed to act, right? Because you know they're coming to where they need to be. When they walk through the doors and they do the things that you're not supposed to do in church, I love that. Because I know that it's a broken sinner just like me coming to Jesus, seeking and searching. They don't act the way they're supposed to act. They don't look the way they're supposed to look. They don't say things the way that you're supposed to say them in church. 
Because these are the types of people that we witness Jesus ministering to time and time and time again. The broken, the hurting, the tax collector, the prostitute, the businessman by the, by the side of the lake. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to minister. The leper. And they're brought forth to first hear the word. Hear Jesus teaching. Jesus said last week that preaching repentance is the reason why I came. To hear the word. And God continues to work through the proclamation of the word. That has not stopped. The power of God is found in his word. Being pro- it's why we proclaim the word of God each and every week here at North Bullet Christian Church. Because there's power in his word. It's our first point this morning. We bring the broken to hear the word. Whether it be ourselves, because we're broken, or whether it be that friend that you've been praying for for decades. I want them to come and hear the word of God. Mark 2, 1-2 says this, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there's no room left. There's not space for anybody in this home, not even outside the door. What's Jesus doing? He's preaching. The Word of God is sufficient to draw broken, hurting people to reconcile and to save. Jesus is preaching in a house in Capernaum, again, possibly his own house. Many are gathered to hear the Word preached. A few weeks back, Mark says that the crowds were what? They were amazed at the teaching of Jesus. How could they not be amazed? Because the authority himself, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, had come to speak his truth to people, to humans on the face of the earth. God was amongst people. There's power in the word of God. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's powerful, don't you think? The Apostle Paul says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. There's power in the word of God. Broken people in the room. That's all of us. You need to hear the word of God in your life. You need to hear the word of God in your life. You need to hear it. We just sang it. What a beautiful song to introduce us into the morning. Forever he is glorified. The resurrected king. We hear it. We sing it. We pray it. We'll see it later on as we receive communion. Whenever I meet people that are discouraged and hurting, I always encourage them to do this. Read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Here's the book I always point them to. John. You want to meet the Savior? Go to Leviticus later. Go to Lamentations later. Go to Judges later. We'll get to those. Those all point to Christ too. But right now you need a little bit of John in your life. You need to see the Savior in the flesh. Read the book. Let me tell you this morning. If you're discouraged, 
get home this week, dig into the Word of God, read the book of John. See God at work. Come meet Jesus in the flesh through the eyes of the disciple He loved. So we bring the broken to the Word of God. Secondly, we bring the broken to experience forgiveness. To experience forgiveness. God's Word says this, Mark 2, 3-5. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Uh, Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now wait a second here. They brought a paralyzed man to be healed. What sort of healing are these men looking for? They want him to walk, don't they? A couple of years ago, I had this terrible stomach ache that I ignored for days on end until I was on a roller coaster at this theme park called Knott's Berry Farm. I lived in Southern California at the time. It's kind of like uh, Kentucky Kingdom, only better. And I'm on, I'm trying to fight through it because my kids are with me and I had promised, you know, my family that we were going to go to this theme park and ride rides all day long. I love roller coasters. I love riding roller coasters. And I, I get on one and it's like, man, I can't do this anymore. My stomach is just not good. Okay. So we decided to go to lunch. We always left the park because we're kind of cheap and it's cheaper to eat outside, get your hand stamped and then come back. So we went to my favorite steakhouse. There was this nice steakhouse across the street that we always like to go to. Uh, Who doesn't like a steak, right? They got good fried shrimp, good filet mignon, rare. It needs to talk to me while I'm eating it, okay? And then they had these nice, like these fried potato cake things that were just to die. I can't even describe them. They're amazing. Nobody has them out here. Um, You feel like you died and gone to heaven when you eat those things. So I get in there, and I'm not feeling well. I've been hiding it all day long. I order a bowl of fruit. My wife looks at me and says, what in the world is wrong with you? Do I need to take you to the hospital, right? <laughs> sure enough, I said, you know what? I think I need to go to the emergency room. I go to the emergency room. I'm not going to the doctor to seek forgiveness. I'm going to the doctor to figure out why I don't want steak and potato cakes. My stomach hurts. Go in there. Doctor does a scan on me. And lo and behold, I had appendicitis. My appendix was about ready to burst. And you know what? He didn't say to me, he didn't say to me, son, your sins are forgiven. He took me into surgery, pulled that thing out, cleaned me up, healed me up. I was gone, right? Okay, the expectation of these men coming to Jesus is not that Jesus is going to say, son, your sins are forgiven. What? They want a healing. Jesus has been going around. He healed the leper. He's been casting out demons. And what does he do? The unexpected. Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's set the scene here. These dudes are on the roof of the house, digging through... Mud and sticks. 
Are those clean? Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus, it may or may not be his own home. It's probably like, what are these guys doing digging through the roof? He's looking up. He's got dirt and mud coming down on his face. What's the first thing he says to this guy when he comes down? He sees the faith of these men. If it was me, I'd be like, why are you wrecking my roof? No, he looks down and he has compassion on the man. And he meets his greatest need. Son, your sins are forgiven. More important than his paralysis. More important than the appendicitis. More important than the cancer. More important than the flu. I'm not going to say nothing about the coronavirus this morning. But then a question comes up. How can Jesus forgive? Isn't that the job of God? How can Jesus forgive? The sacrifice hadn't been given yet. We need a sacrifice to atone for sin. This man stands here teaching and he just says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Look to the cross. You see, God doesn't have to exist on our timeline. God's got his own timeline. God knows everything. God knows his plan to perfection. And so Jesus is able to stand by this man and say, Son, your sins are forgiven because I'm going to take care of those on the cross. And Jesus did just that. Just that. Our sin is so great and so heinous in the eyes of God that Jesus willingly... It wasn't an accident. Always the plan of God that God would send himself in perfection to perfectly fulfill the law. To be condemned. To be beaten. To have his body ripped apart by whips. In these whips, they would have all sorts of metal and glass woven into it, that was used to rip apart the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Romans were perfectionists at something, at torturing people. They knew how to make it as painful as possible and for it to last as long as possible. Keith, why you got to talk about this stuff? It makes me really uncomfortable. Because we have to understand the depth of our sin. How much it cost our Savior to cover us in His righteousness. And so, His body was beaten. Those whips acted like a meat tenderizer. And then they handed Him the cross beam of His of his cross that he would die on, and they made him drag it through the streets as people mocked him and spit on him. He made his way to Golgotha, where they drove spikes into his hands and feet. And they lifted the cross high, and they dropped it into the ground with a jolt. The king of Jews was displayed 
Jesus died. People question and they say, by what power does this man have to forgive? He's God in the flesh. And he paid the price for you and me through his great love and his grace and his mercy. We have to preach this to ourselves. Not that we weigh ourselves down, but that we can look to our Savior and we can raise our hands just like we did in that last song and we can say, forever, Jesus, you are glorified for what you have done for me. Jesus forgives through his sacrifice. God doesn't take sin lightly. He didn't just forgive there on a whim. He forgave that man because he knew what he was going to accomplish on the cross. That that man's sin would be atoned for. That that man's sin would be covered. That God's justice would be upheld. We bring the broken to experience this forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We bring the broken, thirdly, to experience new life. We bring the broken to experience new life. The scribes are are perplexed by Jesus' declaration of forgiveness. Who can forgive sin, right? But God alone. They don't even say the question out loud. Jesus right here proves that he's God because he can read their minds. He knows what's going on in their mind. He knew their question. Can you imagine? You're, you're just thinking something and some dude's like talking to you. Exactly what you're thinking. Jesus says this, Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. What does the man do? He gets up and goes home. Can Jesus prove that the man's sins are forgiven? That's what the scribes are thinking. Who is this guy that says he can forgive sins? It's really easy, the point of this, Jesus is saying, it's really easy for me to just say, hey, your sins are forgiven. How can I prove that, right? That's easy. Hey, your sins are forgiven. How do I prove that? It's the point of Jesus' statement. He answers the question with a question. This is going to set a track record going forward. When the religious people ask him questions, he kind of is able to turn, turn it around back on them. Jesus doesn't just go around willy-nilly forgiving sins. What does he do here to prove that he is God? Jesus says, you want to know by, by which authority? By which authority I have to forgive sins? Here it is. I have the power of God because I am God. And I have the Spirit of God upon me. So let me show you by what authority I have to forgive sins. Hey, paralyzed man. Get up, take your mat, go home. And the guy doesn't do like stretches, 
you know, try to figure it out. He doesn't lift weights to get his muscle tone back. What does he do? He gets up, rolls his mat up, walks out the door. Does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. He's healed. No muscular atrophy, right? No hesitation, no spell from Jesus, no incantation, no magic formula. Through the power of Jesus' spoken word, the power of the word of God brings healing. The power of the word of God. And Jesus shows, this is the authority that I have to forgive sins. I am Jesus, the Son of the Most High. I am God. That's by what authority I can forgive sins. And if that isn't enough, I'm going to pay the penalty for those sins in just a short period of time. On the cross. Only the power of God can miraculously heal the broken, it's a picture of the power of God to raise the broken, to raise broken, dead, and sinful people to new life. It's a picture of this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see the cross and his forgiveness. We see the resurrection of Jesus when he takes this paralyzed man and he says, get up. Your body, your broken body will no longer hold you back. Get up and walk. It's the power of God. It's the power of the Spirit. Paul says this, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to what? Your mortal bodies. Because of His Spirit, hear this, who lives in you. Church, if you are in Christ, God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The same spirit by which Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And what happens? Dead things listen. They come to life. Through the power and spirit of the word of God. Christian, you too have new life in Christ. You need to hear this. You have new life in Christ. Your paralysis has been healed. What was once impossible for you, belief in Jesus has been given by the power of his spirit that has awakened your eyes to his greatness, his goodness, his glory, his mercy, and his grace. This man had no power. He was a lifeless man on a mat. His friends brought him before Jesus. Here's the thing. This passage doesn't say anything about the faith of the paralyzed man. It only says something about the faith of the men that brought him. Jesus saw the faith of his friends. And through that, Jesus forgives the man. He says, son, you're forgiven. He raises him to new life. It's the power of the living God. We see Jesus, God in the flesh, and his power displayed. We bring the broken to experience new life. And lastly, we bring the broken to glorify God. We bring the broken to glorify God. Mark 2.12 He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying what? 
we have never seen anything like this. They glorified God. Everyone is amazed. You bring the broken to be healed by Jesus. Sins are forgiven. And they will, the result of that, when we truly get grace, when we truly get the cost of Christ on the cross, that's why we talk about sin, that's why we talk about the penalty of sin, because it opens our eyes to see the grace and mercy of Jesus, of our God, His great love. When we truly see those things, that's all we can do is say, God, we give you all the glory and praise and honor. We don't take any for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. They glorified God when they saw His work. The Westminster Confession of Faith asks this question. What is the chief end of man? Answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what reconciliation through Jesus Christ brings us. We glorify God because it's the only thing we can do. Because our salvation isn't a work from us. It's a work of Jesus on the cross. It's a work of His Spirit. What else do you do then? But praise God and thank Him for His goodness. It's not about us. God gets the glory. God gets the glory. Let's switch gears. In this passage, the man's uh, paralysis and his sin are connected together. That's why we get the order. Jesus forgives sin, and then something's going on with his paralysis. They're, they're interconnected. All pain and suffering is derived in this fallen world because of what? Sin. God's original design had no intention for a paralyzed man. That happened because of sin. That happened because we can look around the world and we can see fallen things everywhere. We can see a virus spreading. We can see people getting sick and dying. It's the fallen world that we live in. It's because of sin. Now let's make a connection here. Maybe you're not physically paralyzed. I don't really look around in the room at all and see anybody who's paralyzed. But perhaps you're spiritually paralyzed. Perhaps you're spiritually paralyzed. Many of us, myself included, struggle with both of these points that I'm going to make this morning at different times in my walk with Christ. Spiritual paralysis can take on two forms. The first one is this, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness paralyzes us from the work that God has called us to. God's Word says this, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why did, I love this, why does this fellow, like fellow, can you imagine like, hey, what's up fellow to Jesus? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, no, it's easy for us to sit back. Like, we got the whole story. It's easy for us to judge the religious leaders. 
But if I'm honest, I see myself in them. I see me being judgmental. I see me at times being self-righteous. If we're just real. These very religious and learned men, they knew the scriptures inside and out. They knew how to act. They knew in type and shadow God's redemptive plan. They had God's word. And here, he, with a capital H, Jesus is, right in front of them. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But what? They don't recognize him. They don't see Jesus for who he is. Their own perceived righteousness, they weren't truly righteous, but their perception of their goodness and knowledge had puffed them up with pride, had blinded them. The God they have tried so desperately to know and understand is right there in their midst teaching them. They don't see it. It's the incredible danger of the I'm good enough mentality. I'm better than the guy standing next to me. I'm good enough. But we miss the grace of God. When we elevate our own works, we miss the grace of God. It's why we need the gospel each and every day of our lives. We miss our own personal sinfulness. It's beautiful we see a man like the Apostle Paul fight so, so much against this. I mean, he's a man, even apart from Christ in his life, that you would look at and be like, that's a good dude right there. Outside of his murdering habit. But in general, in life, when you looked at his life, he was a good religious man upholding the word of God. Learned, he was a philosopher, he could speak well. He had it all together. If anybody could be arrogant, it could be Paul. But Paul says this in Romans 12.3. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with this, with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Why do we preach the gospel each and every week at North Bullet Christian Church? Because we don't want to regard ourselves more highly than we ought. We want to be humbled before the cross of Christ because when we are humbled, we can go out and we can be the light to the world, the light in the darkness because we're not standing in judgment. We're standing in grace and mercy and saying to the world, I got a better way. I got a better way. Bring the broken to hear the word of God. Bring the broken to experience forgiveness. Bring the broken to experience new life. Bring the broken to glorify God. And it's so difficult for us to do that when we stand in opposition to people of the world, expecting them to act like followers of Christ when they don't have God's spirit on them. Church, hear this. We cannot go into the world and say, man, why is this place so messed up? Here's the reason why. Because lost people don't have the Spirit of God in them. They don't have the Spirit testifying to them to say, 
you need to really dig into the word of God on that thing and, and see, seek God's wisdom on that. You need your course corrected. They're blind. And so when we approach the world with a self-righteous paralysis, we bring no love, we bring no mercy, we bring no grace, we bring no understanding. We begin with humility, bringing the truth in love, pointing them to the cross of Christ. I got something better for you. I got something better than the disappointment you've experienced in the world. I got something better than the disappointment you've experienced in your marriage. I got something better for you than the disappointment you've had in where your kids are at. I got something better for you than the disappointment you've had in your job. Come, let me show you Jesus. Why should you preach the gospel to yourself every single day? Why do we constantly need the gospel of Jesus? Why does every New Testament letter have the gospel taught in some form or fashion? Isn't the gospel just to save? No, it's to sanctify and grow us. That's why we see it in the Word of God. That's why we preach it every week, so that we can focus on the cross of Christ. Because it's powerful to hear how gracious and merciful our God is and And this grace and mercy must be displayed for all the world to see. And it's displayed when we are humble people pointing to Jesus. Don't look at me. I'm messed up. Look at the cross. Christian, I ask you this morning, is your witness paralyzed because of self-righteousness? Do you not see the power of God at work in you and in those around you because you've become blind to your own sin. It's sinful to be that way. To think to yourself, man, I'm amazing. That's sinful. I love you, but hear this. You're not that great. You need Jesus just like the junkie on the street corner. And we have to hear this i got to look at myself in the mirror every morning and say, dude, you're not that great. Besides what your mama told you all when you were growing up. <laughs> Number two. Are you spiritually paralyzed because you're self-condemning, self-condemnation? A lot of us land on one end of the spectrum or the other. We're self-righteous or constantly just beating ourselves up. Colossians 2, 13 to 14 says, this is God's word. This is what God's word says about your sin. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Hear this. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. Hear this. This is the good news. Nailing it to the cross. Church, so many of us want to, we put our hand up and we want to beat the nail into our arm because we messed up again. And Paul says right here, no, your sin was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. Past, present, and future. Stop being paralyzed because you condemn yourself constantly. You're too bad. You need to clean yourself up. Jesus says it this way, though. Come to me. 
All you who are weary and burdened. Isn't that good news? Oh. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus has done that for you. Rest in Jesus. You punish yourself for your sin when Christ paid the penalty for you. Rest in Jesus. God will never love you any less than he loves his son. Did you hear that? God will never love you any less than he loves his son. How is that possible? Because it's Jesus' righteousness that covers your sin. The Father looks upon you and he sees the righteousness of his Son. When you are in Christ, your sin was nailed to the cross. Leave it there. Stop picking it up and carrying it with you. Stop loading up your backpack and throwing it on your back and feeling guilty and carrying it around for, with you. You know how disrespectful that is to our Savior? You know what, Jesus, your, your sacrifice wasn't good enough, so I'm going to keep picking up my sin and carrying it with me everywhere and feel bad for myself. Honor Christ by leaving it. Rest in what he has done for you. Some of you in the room, you see no value in yourself. You see, sin works both ways. Sin works against us because we ourselves are sinful, but sin also works against us because others have sinned against you. And so maybe your value and your worth is nothing because of something that has happened to you. Someone has sinned on you. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you have brokenness in your childhood. Maybe there's brokenness in your marriage. You're missing the hope that you have in Jesus. That sin, even that sin against you has been nailed to the cross. You need to hear this morning, find rest in Christ. God's just, he's going to handle that stuff. Find rest in him. He valued you enough to lay down his life for you. And if this is you, if you're struggling because someone has sinned against you or continually sins against you, I want to invite you this week, read Romans 8 on repeat. Read Romans 8 on repeat. I'm going to put a plug in here. If you have Spotify, right, the music app, Emmanuel Church in Nashville just put out a worship album. That's all Romans 8. They do the readings, and then the band will sing a song. It's live. Listen to that this week on repeat. The people of God singing the word. It's beautiful. If you've been sinned against, which is all of us, read Romans 8 because it talks about this broken world, but what's coming? There's no condemnation. God's going to make all things new. Kingdom of God breaking through. God will perfect, perfect everything. This abusive, sinful world isn't the end of the story. 
Jesus has had victory over that at his cross, and he has ultimate victory over that when he returns and consummates and makes all things new. Stop condemning yourself. Jesus carried the punishment for you. Jesus has set you free. Jesus is calling out to you. He's saying to you this morning, get up, take your mat, go home. Get up, take your mat, and go home. Your spiritual body's been made new again. There's no more atrophy, no muscle fatigue, no more pain, only hope in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.